John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. January 27, 2005, marked the 60th anniversary of the liberation of the Nazi death camp in Auschwitz, Poland. And uh, the reason I'm talking about this today was I saw the PBS documentary about, uh, about this death camp. And it brought to light some things that I wanted to talk to you about today. I'll give you several other examples, but I wanted to start with this. Uh, Auschwitz was a death camp that was established by the Nazis in World War II, and primarily uh, Polish Jews, uh, Russian prisoners of war, gypsies, and other people from across Europe were interned in this camp. And when you arrived at this camp, you were separated into two groups. Either you were going to be selected, depending on how you looked, as a laborer, or you were going to go directly to the gas chamber. Uh, it's been estimated that 1.1 to 1.5 million people were murdered in this death camp alone. Uh, a lot of this occurring in the latter part of World War II. And of course, as you know, there were many of these camps across Germany and Poland, uh, Buchenwald, Sobibor, uh, many, many millions of people lost their lives uh, through this extermination process that the uh, Nazis declared as the final solution. Uh, it struck me when I was watching this uh, documentary that they were interviewing a woman who I assume was in her early teens at the time, 15, 17 years old, I would think. And they interviewed her about uh, what happened to her. And she was selected as a laborer. And her responsibility was to go through, along with some others, to go through baggage or luggage of the internees. And they looked for gold, any type of jewelry, uh, eyeglasses, anything that the Nazis could use to uh, benefit themselves. And so that was her responsibility. Uh, and as you know, uh, and I neglected to tell you this, but what they did in this death camp, uh, half, more than half the people who immediately arrived were exterminated in the gas chamber. The others worked as laborers to, to make sure that this was accomplished and do any work that needed to be done there. So, you know, it was a horrific set of circumstances that uh, if you did survive, and usually it was only for a period of maybe three months because they gave you rations enough that most of the people only survived for a three-month period. And of course, they always had a continual uh, amount of new uh, labor coming in. So it was a horrific place, and it was a place where there were terrible medical experiments done on uh, children, small children, especially twins. Uh, I won't go into that today, but it was just one of those horrendous places. But during this interview with this woman, uh, she talked about her circumstances and that she had struck up a relationship with one of the German guards. And uh, more or less this, I think, and she didn't really allude to it, but you could tell it was done mostly for survival purposes on her part. 
And so that relationship went on for a period of time. And then one day this guard came to her and said, your sister has just arrived with her child. I can, I can make sure that, you know, she can come work with you. And so, you know, she thought this was great. The only drawback was he couldn't save the child. And so these were the types of, of situations these uh, people were, uh, were put in. Uh, she made the statement that God was not there. God was not present in this camp. And, uh, of course, that got me to thinking. And, and I'm sure uh, we've all, at one time or another, have thought about issues like this uh, when we go through pain or suffering and our different trials. But if God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-good, why is there evil and human suffering in the world? As I said earlier, I wanted to give you uh, several examples of pain and, and suffering. Uh, in 1980, I joined the Kansas Highway Patrol, and my first duty station was Abilene, Kansas. And I was stationed there from 1980 through 1988. And my first patrol supervisor was uh, my sergeant, was a man who was about six foot three, very muscular, red hair, very by the book type of guy. But he was honest and he was a good man, he was a Christian, and I came to know him quite well during my eight years. Uh, he was the type of supervisor who spent a lot of time with his men, and one of his duties was to ride with you uh, during your shift to see if you were doing the work you should be doing, how you were doing your work, and more or less to establish a, an employee-supervisor relationship. And we established a good one. I enjoy uh, every time he would come and ride uh, we had a lot of good conversations about a, a wide variety of topics from sports to religion to you name it and uh, I enjoyed my time uh, with him uh, I won't mention his name and and I won't mention any of the family's name because uh, as you know this is tape and you can get it off the internet and I haven't talked to him about this so I, I didn't want to go any further uh, as far as mentioning a name. I'm sure probably he wouldn't mind, but I don't feel at liberty to do so. Uh, anything that I mention here that I talk about someone, I, I've gotten permission if I mention some other names uh, later on. Uh, I got to know the family real well. Uh, he had a wonderful wife, a daughter that was eight, nine years old, and uh, when, when they arrived, she was eight or nine years old. And so became to know them quite well. And I remember one Thanksgiving when Jamie uh, took the two kids at the time, be Kristen and Adam, went to uh, Topeka for a Thanksgiving holiday. And I had to work that day. And uh, my sergeant insisted that I come over to the house and have Thanksgiving uh, meal with them, which, uh, which I did. And had a wonderful time. Uh, great conversation, good food. Of course, then I had to go back to work. But, you know, I felt hesitant on doing that because I hate to invade someone's uh, private uh, family time, but uh, he insisted. So I got to know, uh, know him quite well. He was the type of guy 
that if he ever needed any type of help, he'd come over. And uh, I don't know how, I can't count the amount of times I was over to his house, uh, a lot of times on duty, uh, doing different things. In 1988, I was promoted and transferred to uh, Ulysses, Kansas. And uh, one thing I can say about Ulysses, uh, it's a long ways from uh, everywhere, as Toby and Amanda know. But the best, best thing out there is the people, wonderful people. But I went out there in 1988. Jamie actually followed me out there which he's always done everywhere we've gone throughout the state. But it wasn't long uh, before we were out there that I got the word that uh, my friend's daughter had been murdered. And uh, hearing the story about circumstances involved there, hearing about how he was on duty in Salina at the time, racing back to Abilene to find that the suspect who had committed the murder had committed suicide by ramming his his truck into uh, a railroad train that was parked uh, at 3rd and Buckeye in Abilene. And we always thought that this was probably a, a good thing that happened to him because it would have taken a squad of men to keep him from going after this guy. But you wonder, you know, why do, why do these things happen? Recently, I completed reading in the book of Job and uh, reading about what Job experienced. And if you turn in your Bibles to Job 1, verse 13, read 13 through 19. Now it happened on the day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house that a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabians attacked and took them. They also slew the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking... Another also came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands and made a raid on the camels and took them and slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, Your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people and they died. And I have escaped to tell you. If you go on to Job 2 in verse 7, just a partial part of that verse, Job was struck with sore boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. Now, when you read the entire book of Job, you probably think to yourself, you know, Job has asked or, or wondered, why did God plug his ears to all of this? all this cries of pain from Job. What kind of suffering this man experienced? A couple weeks ago, I talked to Jamie about suffering. And we were talking about different 
instances and, and people and situations, and Bethany's name came up. And she said, think about Bethany. All the visits to the different doctors here in the state and out of the state, all the different surgeries she's had to have, different pain medication, pain management issues. Why does God want us to go through all these trials and the pain and suffering that we do? If you turn to John 9, verse 1 through 3, the scripture reads, And as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned? this man or his parents, that he should be born blind. Jesus answered, It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was in order that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, being a finite being, it's hard to understand an uh, infinite God. And I can't speak for why God allows certain things. But in Bethany's case... I think I can say this, from her studying to be a registered nurse, is there anybody that you know of that would understand pain and compassion more than her? Now, you can find a lot of information on pain and suffering. Uh, there's a lot of Christian information that you can find. Uh, it's out there if you look look for it. But you have to be very careful and very discerning on the information that's out there. Uh, there's a book here called When Bad Things Happen to Good People. And probably some of you have read this maybe over the years. It's a best-selling book. It's been around for a long time. And it was written by Rabbi Harold S. Kushner. And uh, I found it interesting. In Chapter 7, uh, Rabbi Kushner says that... Uh, God can't do everything, but he can do some important things. And I got to thinking about that. I thought, well, this might have been the time when God was so tired after he created the universe that he really needed a lot of time off. So, like I say, you have to be very discerning on some of this information that's out there. And I think, if I recall, isn't he the author that uh, had the sequel to the this book, it's uh, When Good Things Happen to Bad People. That, that's a poor attempt at humor there. But but like I said, be very dis discerning. And the, and the best reference material out there is uh, this right here. But there's many things that can cause us to suffer. People can cause us to suffer, either through their deliberate actions or sometimes negligence, uh, Satan, as we just talked about in reading the scripture from Job, the prime mover there in that situation. There's sicknesses and diseases and all kinds of different disorders that people have. There's animals or plants that we can suffer from, everything from animal bites to, uh, and as you know, uh, with summer and springtime coming along, there's allergies. And for those of you who are itching for that time of year, you know what I'm talking about. So there's all kinds of different types of sufferings, everything from psychological to uh, spiritual afflictions.
But no matter what it is, God knows about our suffering. Now, if you think about Jesus and his life here on earth, he was the only person who was able in, in the history to plan his, his own birth. He traded in a perfect heavenly body for a frail body such as yours and mine. He was lonely. He was tired. Hungry. He was assaulted by Satan. He had leeching admirers around him. And he was persecuted by powerful enemies. But during this time, Jesus didn't gravitate towards people of the in crowd. He was the type of person that you'd be fine healing the sick, people who were in paralysis. He would talk to notorious sinners such as prostitutes and even tax collectors of the day. We won't say that today. If you turn to Isaiah 53... What type, of, what type of person are we talking about here? But Isaiah 53, verses 2 and 3, For he grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Dorothy Sayers wrote, For whatever reason God chose to make man as he is, limited in suffering, and subject to sorrows and death, he had the honesty and and the courage to take his own medicine. Whatever game he was playing with his creation, he has kept his own rules and played fair. He can exact nothing from man that he has not exacted from himself. He has himself gone through the whole of human experience, from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. When he was a man, he played the man. He was born in poverty and died in disgrace and thought it well worthwhile. The fact that Jesus came to earth where he suffered and died does not remove the pain from our lives. But it shows he did not sit idly by and watch us suffer. He became one of us. During this time on earth, he never once did tell anybody to endure the pain, swallow your grief. Instead, he would heal the pain. And as Mike has taught here recently, he broke deep-rooted customs to do so. His life here on earth shows us that God is not a God who enjoys seeing us suffer. When Jesus himself faced suffering, he reacted much like what, 
how we do today. He recoiled from it, asking three times if there was any other way. And he experienced perhaps for the first time the most human of experience, and that was abandonment. In his life, he experienced the same fears, helplessness, and situations that confront us all in our suffering. His life here on earth answers the question, how does God feel about our pain? He didn't give us words or theories on the problem of pain or suffering. He gave us himself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, we all suffer pain and, and the trials of life. And it is good to know that you thought so much of us that you sent your only son to die for our sins. And Lord, for those who are today in our midst who are in pain or suffering, Lord, we pray, pray that you give them comfort and direct them and, and to have the peace that know that you are the answer. I pray in your son's holy name. Amen.